Let us pray together. Oh God, we give thanks for this family of faith, and we give thanks uh, for voices young and old and in the middle, and the way you knit us together before this, your word, that we might hear your voice of life. We pray that you would tune our hearts and ears to hear just that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 98, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with harp. With harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blasts of the ram's horns, shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples with equity. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing a sermon series this fall in the book of Acts and exploring this movement of the early church from waiting in a small house for the Holy Spirit to come and then the Holy Spirit coming upon them and and then sending them out to be witnesses to Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. and, And now today, really, it starts to feel like, yes, the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. Our passage today comes from Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48, but I'm not going to read that quite yet. We will formally read those verses in just a bit. But really, those five verses fall in the center of Acts chapter 10, verse 1, through Acts 11, chapter 18. This incredibly long narrative of the church coming together fully as Jew and Gentile for the first time. It is a remarkable narrative, and you really can't understand these few verses that are printed in your bulletin without the narrative. And so, for today's sermon, it's going to be done a little bit differently. I'm going to just tell the story of chapter 10, verse 1 through 11, 18. It is a story that Luke tells in seven distinct scenes, seven distinct acts And he starts in Act 1, way out here, in a place called Caesarea. A seaport town, a beautiful location, also a strategic location. It was a place through which trade flowed back and forth. So you didn't just put any military officers in charge of this kind of location. Cornelius was just such an officer. He was charged, among other officers, with overseeing Caesarea. Cornelius wore the Roman Empire uniform and as such was a reminder visibly to the Jewish people day in and day out that they were an occupied people. A people under the power of the empire that could be fairly whimsical in its power and authority. But Cornelius was a little different. He respected the Jewish tradition, the Jewish people. He prayed regularly to God. He gave generously of his money to the poor. 
And one day, an angel of the Lord visits Cornelius. Cornelius! And Cornelius stares back, terrified. I love in scripture how often God or a messenger of God comes and and, and calls by name time and again. And time and again the response is fear. Cornelius! What is it? Your prayers have been heard. Send then some men to a place called Joppa where there's a man called Peter. Summon him to come to you. Not Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. And and here is the direction the Lord is leading you in your life. Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Here are the words you need to fix this situation, to reconcile with this person. No, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Go send for a man named Peter over in Joppa. Just this small, strange step. And that's the end of Act 1 out of 7 Acts. Why are we sending for Peter? Where is this story going? And yet something about it also rings true about the Holy Spirit who so often will give us only by way of God's word or another in God's family maybe just the next step. However awkward, odd, or terrifying. It reminds me of a friend of mine who used to say, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, not a tractor beam unto the next hundred yards. Act 2. Peter is over in Joppa. And he is headed up onto his roof to pray. And we read, while he's still making his way up to the roof, the men are on their way from Caesarea. I love that. He's, he hasn't even got up here to start praying, start talking with God about the plan or whatever's going to happen in his life. And the plan's already in motion toward him. How often do we consider that even before we come together and put ourselves in faithful motion, God's grace is such that it's already in motion toward us. Even if we can't see it, we have no idea what it's about. Peter gets to the roof. Starts to pray. He gets hungry. Falls into a trance. And in that trance, he's given a vision where something like a sheet falls out from heaven. And on that sheet are all of these animals of every kind. Birds, reptiles, and a voice says, Peter, get up, go and kill and eat. How proud Jewish people from generations previous to Peter would have been to hear Peter and all of his hunger respond, no Lord. I will not eat that which is unclean, that which is profane. I will not go against God's law. And indeed, Leviticus 11 has a a whole section where God points out what are the clean animals and the the unclean animals the Jewish people must avoid. And and the dietary laws, these are big things. These are a way God has, has made the people of God, the Jewish people, a holy people, a separate people, a distinct people. Circumcision, Sabbath, dietary laws. My goodness, if they start giving into dietary laws, not only are they giving into their faithfulness to God, but... A minority people in such a large empire, they'll just assimilate unto unto nothing. No, Lord, I will not kill and eat. What I have called clean, do not call unclean. 
The vision happens three times. Three times the sheet and all the animals, the reptiles, the birds, get up, kill. Three times this all unfolds, Peter resisting, and eventually he wakes up and he is perplexed. I mean, he has said, no, I will not go against the word of God. But notice how he responded in the way Luke records this. He says, no, Lord. Peter recognizes the voice from heaven is not just any voice. This is the voice of Jesus. No, Jesus, I will not go against all I do know about scripture and tradition. He is perplexed in this weird space he has now been put. And while he's still perplexed, the men arrive at the front door and inquire if Peter is here to some of the others in the household. And right at that moment, Peter's still on the roof. The Holy Spirit comes to Peter and says, Peter, get up. Go down without hesitation to these men, for I have sent them. And I've always wondered if right then and there something doesn't start to drop in the pit of Peter's stomach. Because maybe he starts to realize where this might be going. Because that word for without hesitation in Greek has a double meaning that also means without distinction or without discrimination. Peter, it doesn't matter who's coming to your front door, who I am sending. I want you to go without hesitation, without distinction, without discrimination. Embrace them as the neighbor you've been called to love for such a time as this. This is no small command because the Jews had distinctions and discriminations about the Gentiles and the Gentiles, the Jews. Stories would go around among uh, the Jewish people how... The Gentile men would make the Gentile women have abortions. And then they would force them to to bury the fetus under the floorboards of the homes. So not only are Gentiles unclean just by birth and unclean in what they eat. Their very household is filled with the uncleanliness of death. You do not go into a Gentile's household. Those brutal people. Gentiles had stories about the Jewish people. They're lazy. They want a day off each week. They're unsociable. Look at the different things they just refuse to eat. And they're thieves. Stories would go around about how the Jewish people, they'd walk into a a pagan temple and they'd walk right up to the treasury and take all the money and walk out with it. Because you know those Jewish people don't believe the pagan gods are real anyway and so they haven't really stolen from anybody. Watch a bunch of thieves. And like people groups throughout generations, they each have their narratives about one another. And sometimes when you start to really just have a singular narrative about all of them, you can get to a place where you just cannot abide by their existence near you or at all. And so two black women shot in Kentucky, bombs in the mail, Jewish sisters and brothers shot In a synagogue. Peter, get up, go down without hesitation, without distinction, without discrimination to whomever I am sending you as your neighbor. And I think it is significant that Peter's told to get up and go down. 
Because what, happen, what is happening here is very much a humbling motion, a letting go of whatever discriminations or thoughts he may have and opening himself to wherever the Lord is leading. It is a downward motion of obedience Peter is called toward, which of course sounds so familiar because it's Jesus, right? Jesus, Philippians 2, who did not cling to the heavenly distinctions and reputation, but let go, emptied himself, humbled himself to becoming a a human unto the point of death. And there God raised him to be king of kings and lord of lords. With Jesus, the way of a new rising is the way of the downward trajectory. And so, yes, Peter is walking down to who knows what kind of people and what kind of situation. Does he recognize that his steps downward are the first steps toward a rising? At the door, there are the Gentile men. Why have you come? Well, Cornelius, our master, he had a vision of this angel and and was told to send for you over here in Joppa, and so we're here. Peter welcomes them in. They stay for the night. Act 4. The next day, they make a two-day trek to Caesarea, way out here. Cornelius, he's been waiting for them. And he's anticipated them and invited all kinds of friends and relatives. And so what began with one man and and one angel is now this household full of Gentiles and Peter and some Jewish people that came with him. It is quite a mix. And you can tell Peter's uncomfortable standing on these floorboards. Because the first words out of his mouth are, As all of you are aware, it is against the law of God. For a Jewish person to associate with or be in the home of a Gentile. As all of you are well aware, this is against thousands of years of our understanding of scripture and tradition. As all of you are aware, this is a scandal to the conscience of my fellow Jews. As all of you are aware. And yet, it seems standing on these floorboards and this surprising mix of folks... Peter is for the first time getting whatever that vision was about with those varied animals all on one sheet in one location. Because he goes on and he says, God has shown me not to show any partiality about who's clean and unclean, so I came here without hesitation, without distinction. Now, pray tell me, what, what am I to do? And Cornelius responds and and again tells the story about the angel and and being called to call him away from from Joppa and then Cornelius this most powerful man in this most powerful city turns to Peter and said and so now all of us have gathered to hear a word from the Lord through you Peter three days ago Peter could not have fathomed any reason he would ever stand in a Gentile household, let alone that of a Roman soldier, an occupier, one of such stature and such power, let alone then be asked to speak a word about Jesus. We take the step, and the next downward step, and the next one as far as we know to see, and who knows whose life God might be looking to change three days from now, Three weeks from now. Three years from now. 
Act 5. Peter preaches. God shows no partiality to any under any nation who fears the Lord and seeks to do the Lord's will. Peter then goes on and he he starts to preach about Jesus and what he did in his life and all of his healings. And He preached about how Jesus died. And now three days later, he rose again. And he gathered his band of followers and sent them out equipped with that same spirit that conquered death to go and tell the world that this spirit that is stronger than than death itself is moving into the world. Jesus is on the move. Good news is on the move. And and I love this. He's only partway through the sermon and the narrator, Luke, just cuts in. Act 6. While Peter was still preaching... The Holy Spirit fell upon everyone there. While Peter was still finding the words for the sermon, while the church was still articulating its argument for the faith, while the church was still pulling this thing together, the Spirit just runs ahead and is poured out on all these Gentiles. Goodness, that gives me such hope. How often it feels like our work together, our articulations together are at best partially done and the holy spirit just runs ahead this is where we encounter our scripture passage for today from acts chapter 10 verses 44 to 48 while peter was still speaking the holy spirit fell upon all who heard the word The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so what began a story over here in a port town with an officer who oversees waterways ends with this officer and his household submerged in water. And the truth is it's really a household of conversion because it's everyone gathered there who is following Jesus more fully, more faithfully. The church, Peter, his followers, Cornelius, his folks. It's one house of joyful followership unto Jesus. And really you think, boy, that's where the story should end. Wow, what a thing to see all this motion and the spirit to do a new thing and bring this all together. That feels like the perfect ending. Six acts, done, except. What about the folks back home? What about the religious authorities in Jerusalem? The ones who are wise and learned and do have power. What will they think if they hear about what's been going on in the church way over there? And the truth is, the folks up in Jerusalem, they have heard. And they ask a blunt question to Peter. Why did you go among the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Why did you disregard the very law of God, go out among those who are unclean, those who are enemy, those who are occupier, and act as if they are family? It's one thing to sort of lob prayers over to the Gentiles. 
One thing, even to wish them well and not believe every rumor you hear about a Gentile. Holy another thing, to do things that families do and share with one another with them. What should Peter say? Maybe he should go with reason and logic. You know, if we can convert Roman soldiers, we can convert the power center of the Roman Empire. Maybe he should go with scripture. You know, uh, the prophet Isaiah spoke of a day when, when the, the Jews would be a light unto the Gentiles and they, they'd come unto salvation. M- maybe this is that. But Peter instead goes with the story. He simply gives the testimony of what the Lord has done in his life in this back and forth movement and lets the story stand or fall on its own integrity, its own hearing. He begins with that part where he's in Joppa and he's praying on the roof and he sees the sheet three times with all these animals and birds and reptiles. No, I won't kill. And then he goes on and talks about how the Holy Spirit told him to go without hesitation or discrimination to these folks at his door. And how they took him to Caesarea way over there. And this man named Cornelius, who an angel of the Lord had said, you got to bring this all together. And he says, and then I preached right inside a, a Gentile house. And he says, look, if God has poured out the same gifts upon them as us, who was I that I could hinder God? And upon the hearing of the story, the leadership fell silent. Because they do have an understanding, certainly, of scripture and tradition and perhaps even discriminations they're aware of. They do have a story with evidence of the Spirit's work coming from Peter. And they break out in praise for the new thing that Jesus is doing. That they could never have anticipated the way, the manner, the people. And they give thanks. And that, that is the end of Act 7. Now Luke could have just told that whole thing in the few verses I read aloud. And then maybe added one more sentence and said, Eventually the leadership in Jerusalem rejoiced. Six verses could have said it all. But Luke actually takes an incredible amount of time in the book of Acts to let us feel the full arc, the full back and forth of this story. Because Luke wants to be clear, this is hugely and centrally important for the church to understand. And a central part of its importance is in the motion itself. Luke wants us to see how the Holy Spirit absolutely does put in motion people from all kinds of places, all kinds of backgrounds, and they're often only given just enough to know what the next step is. And so they move. And in moving, they discover the next step. And eventually, as they just keep stepping, and they discover the next step, they find that they are being drawn further and further into this scandalous vision Jesus has for the church. He came to reconcile the world unto himself that all might gather under the lordship of Jesus Christ at one table, one meal, one sheet. It is no accident that a sheet is an entity with boundaries because the point is... The point is the church is not called into separate pockets here or there of like, looking, like, thinking, like, educated, like, discriminating folks. But contrary to our distinction-filled world, 
The church is a gathering brought together by Jesus Christ of all these differences and similarities upon the same sheet, the same location, with awkward, beautiful proximity called family. It's a messy, circuitous story, though, to get there. But also remember, the story is told in seven distinct scenes. What other story in scripture is told in seven distinct scenes wherein animals and reptiles and birds of every kind feature prominently as they seek to find life together on the same surface? God's perfectly rhythmed story of creation in Genesis 1. And now in Acts 10 and 11, the creation of the Jew and Gentile church of Jesus Christ unfolds in seven distinct scenes. This is God's perfect, complete plan in motion. And so yes, the next step for you, for me, for us, may in fact be quite messy, circuitous, and largely unclear. With the people gathering on that sheet maybe making no sense at all. But from God's perspective, this is an ordered work. This is a rhythmed work that God declares scene by scene. It is good. Amen.